Welcome to Word 2 Literary. I'm your host, Jonathan. It's a me, Kenny. I should have known. I should have known. <laughs> Wait. That threw you off. <laughs> I'm good. We're good. We'll keep, right. We're going to keep going. I'm going to just pretend that never happened. Because <laughs> today, we are getting into Super Mario Bros. The movie. Well, no, there's not the movie prefix. It's just Super Mario Bros. movie. Super Mario Bros. movie, the 2023 finalized animated sequel, but honestly a reboot to what should have been the 1993 Super Mario Brothers. It is a reboot. It is a reboot, yeah. It is. I mean, I don't think anyone anywhere considers the 1993 version any kind of kin to Mario. Probably not, considering that the 1993 version was so wildly unlike what we wanted from a mario movie it was out there and just gritty and weird and yet still super fun to watch just not a mario brothers movie it's just not agreed but it was it was a lot of fun it's one of my i wouldn't say it's a favorite movie i'm not gonna lie i'm not gonna put that out there but i'd never regret watching it no, no, it's certainly not my favorite either, but it's one of those movies that when you sit down and you watch it, you enjoy it because it's just so campy and goofy. And the cast that they had for that original movie were there to try and make that movie work, and they did what they could. But ultimately, that movie just is what it is, and it's fun to go back and watch it once in a while and not take it seriously at all. Exactly. And we just did that last week. Yeah. Whenever it comes out for people, now we're going to get into the new one, which off the cuff like i enjoyed it a lot it reminded me of the lego movie back in the day it just didn't to me have any heart like it was really good by the numbers that worked yeah i mean it, it sold me on a mario sequel i'd be down to watch it of course so the super mario brothers movie 2023 edition by illumination is by and large a great example of what happens when they fit just enough nostalgia into a movie to make you go, this is super cool because it's hitting on all the notes of what I remember from when I was a child, right? So mm -hmm. the story of the Super Mario Brothers movie is very plain and simple. They go on a journey through the Mushroom Kingdom because Mario needs to save not only the princess, sort of, but more importantly, his brother, Luigi. And we won't go into crazy spoilers on this one because we know this one's in theaters and that there are a lot of people who may not have had the chance to see it yet. And so we don't want to take away the full experience, but we are definitely going to be going over a lot of the fun Easter eggs that were hidden throughout the movie, things that really brought us back to a time where we remember fondly all of these moments in our mario brothers playthroughs from the original super mario brothers on the nes all the way through to some of the more recent ones like super mario odyssey i am gonna say expect some spoilers yeah I mean, spoilers are still spoiler, ahead we won't spoil everything but i would still expect some and really i would Still suggest seeing the movie because it's really more about the nostalgia and seeing mario on the screen like yeah you know you're, you're not there's no surprises in the story there's really so. not and i guess that's kind of the thing too is going into this we hope y'all have watched it by this point and are ready for a breakdown of the movie itself 
However, if you haven't watched it yet, just know that this is one of those stories that's being told from the perspective of people having a lot of familiarity with the Mario universe already. And so it's hitting all those little bits of nostalgia moments that bring you back. So with that being said, let's get into this, shall we? Let's do it. So right off the bat, we're given a little commercial that gives us that good old feel. We get this Mario sounding like himself. He's a little bit Italian, and the same thing with Luigi. They're both kind of going back and forth and riffing off of each other during this little montage of a cute commercial about their plumbing service that they're offering to, of all places, Brooklyn. Which I know is a huge sticking point for you, but we'll get into that later. Yeah, we will get into that later, but they're coming out of it that pans off of a TV screen, and we realize that we're watching a commercial, and it's that commercial for their plumbing service where they're just trying to get their names out there get their business going and start doing the plumbing that they are known for with a mario rap which was mildly entertaining and a atrocious accent by the way yeah let's talk about a little bit of the hang-ups very quickly here let's just get it out of the way now and say chris pratt as the voice of mario just ain't it it's really not the it's not the voice that we needed for mario charlie day's luigi i'm actually all for that i felt that charlie day's luigi representation was solid he sounded scared a little more high-pitched which is closer to what we expect from a luigi's voice at least that's my opinion i think that luigi was well handled by charlie day's voice acting anya taylor joy as princess peach actually seemed pretty fitting as well I wasn't 100% sold on it, but she did a really good job of Peach. Hands down, my favorite, and I'm sure you felt similarly as well, was actually Keegan-Michael Key as Toad. I felt that his version of Toad was exactly what I would have expected it to be, and honestly, I didn't even know that he could make that voice. It was an entertaining voice, and I didn't realize that Keegan-Michael Key was voicing Toad, wasn't constantly brought back into it. And going back to Chris Pratt, like, I know he's in the role of Mario, but I didn't hear Chris Pratt. I mean, I thought the voice was all right. I definitely enjoyed, you know, Charlie Day's Luigi more. I enjoyed Keegan-Michael Key as Toad. I really enjoyed Jack Black as Bowser, even though, and I don't think Jack Black was doing like a, any kind of especially like different voice than he normally does. Just a little deeper. But it was entertaining. Yeah. When he was speaking as Bowser, you could tell that his tone and his cadence was definitely deeper with each line that he had. But his singing definitely was the aspect to me that gave it away. Hearing him sing Peaches, hearing him sing in general throughout the... Or when he got excited, when Bowser would get really jazzed up about something you could hear a little bit more of the jack black voice just because when jack black gets excited it's hard not to notice that it's him he did an excellent job though i really think that his voice as bowser was spot on for what i would expect for a bowser voice the other one that really surprised me was fred armison was in this as cranky kong and that man is an absolute genius at voice work as well because he has fit himself into so many different roles with so many different voices where I'm just like, how 
how do you make yourself sound like somebody entirely different every time? I didn't hear Fred's natural speaking voice anywhere within his Cranky Kong representation. It was really good. Now, there was one other character. There, Yes, and I was going to get to that too. Like, there was one other voice. I'm like, okay, that is definitely one that, I mean, it was, it worked, but it was the one I liked the least. It worked, but it just didn't feel right either. The two people in this movie that I think could have had a different voice were Chris Pratt as Mario and Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. Agreed. Fully agreed. So you may not have been able to hear it, but Chris Pratt's Mario, to me, if I closed my eyes, I could just see the guy from Lego Movie. Okay, I can see that. And And, he's got a similar sounding voice. And yeah, I don't know if he's done a lot of other voice yet. No. But that's the thing is I, Chris Pratt's not really a voice actor. He's always been a live action everything. So him branching away from Emmett from Lego movie, like that was his first major role doing specifically voiceover. Let me double check that actually. I would like to proposition that so while watching it, there were two actors that came to mind for me for Donkey Kong. I don't remember the second one, which makes me sad. But especially with the peck dancing that they have Donkey Kong doing, I thought like Terry Crews would have been perfect. for. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he's got comedic chops and he's got like a solid voice. I think it would have worked well. I think if they had worked with him on it, they could have played something in that would have been fun. That would have worked well and maybe not have fully sounded like Terry Crews himself. Whereas Seth Rogen just sounded like Seth Rogen. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but you know Seth Rogen's voice. So if you have any ties to other projects that he's worked on, you're familiar with what he's done in the past, you can't really separate those 100%. And so it's just obvious. It almost felt like, too, to me, that they worked with Seth on making sure he didn't do his trademark laugh as Donkey Kong. Because there was a few points where Donkey Kong does laugh, and yet he didn't have that usual Seth Rogen chuckle, I guess. So I thought that was kind of funny that they did at least seem to kind of work with him on that aspect of the voice recording. But circling back for a moment, yes, there was a few projects that Chris Pratt had done that were voiceover, but the big voiceover bit that he did for the first time was the Lego movie. That was his first full-length voiceover role. And I admit in the Lego movie he was fine, but he was mostly just kind of playing himself. Like it didn't feel all that different from his role as Andy in Parks and Rec, right? He was just being his usual silly self. So Lego movie didn't really need anything special voice-wise whereas Mario did. Mario needed that original feel and I do think it was weird that they went ahead and included the original voice of Mario from the games into the movie where that initial sequence where we get the, oh, the commercial was great. The person who tells them that the commercial was great was actually the original voice actor for Mario. And they, of course, gave him a line in there so you could hear the original Mario voice as well. But it was like, I'm very curious to understand if they just really wanted a big name to be I put behind bet. Mario. I would bet it's, you know, the recognition and the draw 
Chris Pratt has versus, oh, what's his name? Charles Martinet. Yeah, I mean, he does a great Mario voice because he's done it for so long, but there is no, oh, I see him on a movie poster or in the trailer title cards or whatnot, and it brings people in. Right. Chris Pratt has that. You're not wrong. And with like the Lego movie, Chris Pratt worked really well because it may have been Chris Pratt's voice, but nobody like people knew of Chris Pratt. I believe he was coming off parts in Wreck and the Guardians movie when that happened. He did Lego movie in 2014 and then Guardians of the Galaxy later that year. Okay. Parks and Rec had been going on since 2009, though, so he had been already pretty involved with Parks and Rec by that point. He had done a few other movies that were considered kind of big for him. Zero Dark Thirty comes to mind, as well as Movie 43. Movie 43 was like a whole bunch of little clips, if I remember right. Yeah, but it had it a did. major I mean, it had cast. Him, it had Ferris, it just... All of the people, Dennis Quaid, Richard Gere, Stephen Merchant. Yeah, Liv Schreiber. Seth MacFarlane, Hugh Jackman. Yeah. The list it had goes a lot on. of people, but and it was entertaining. It was ridiculous. It was a bunch of short clips and stuff, but I enjoy the movie. But he wasn't big yet. He was getting no. there. Like Zero Dark Thirty is, I think, why he got like Guardians. It kind of showed that he could be more than the pudgy, funny guy. Correct. And... After Parks and Rec, he got into things like Jurassic World and then further Guardians of the Galaxy, more Avengers related Marvel stuff up until he finished out doing a lot of the Jurassic Worlds and then started doing some of the other random things as well. Because he was in another animated feature called Onward. I never did get around to seeing that one. I've heard it's not too bad, but I don't know what he sounded like in that one. He was also in Amazon's The Tomorrow War. Point being is that he's got himself a big name as far as just that draw. People like Chris Pratt. I don't necessarily have any problems with him as an actor. And No. Well, and my point more was that at the time of the Lego movie, he wasn't huge. He was right. getting there. He was entertaining. If you knew him, you enjoyed him. Though his voice as Emmett worked. Because it didn't take you out because you weren't like, oh, that's these 30 characters I've seen elsewhere. Right. But now going into Mario, yeah, we've seen him in, you know, all of the Marvel movies. We've seen him in Jurassic World movies. He's huge. And he, yeah. I enjoy watching Chris Pratt. He's an entertaining actor quite a bit. Yeah. But as Mario, his voice stood out more as like a slightly affected, you know, Emmett. Exactly. Slightly different Owen from Jurassic World. So it doesn't work as well. And, you know, he needs to work on his skills of being able to put on a slightly different voice. And as a quick example, I'll say that a good movie for a representation of where I felt a pretty good separation from the characters' voices to the actors themselves was a movie like Despicable Me, where Steve Carell as the voice of Gru, if you didn't know, you wouldn't know because Gru sounds so far distant from what Steve Carell actually sounds like that you can immerse yourself that way. And that's the biggest difference between what we get from Chris Pratt and Mario versus a Steve Carell and Gru is that you can tell that it's Chris Pratt. And that's really 
the only hang up that it, I guess I have as far as that. And I'm sure everybody's heard quite a bit at this point about the not certain how we feel about Chris Platt playing the voice of Mario. But that's kind of our take on it, at least. Overall, I felt the voice acting in the movie was actually pretty well done with just a couple of a couple of exceptions. Agreed. So getting back into the literary aspect of the movie, the movie opens up with us getting that quick. This is what the Mario Brothers are up to before they get their first opportunity for a job, which I'll cut them some credit to making this similar to the 1993 Mario movie. This was actually a very close homage to what happened in our previous discussion where Mario and Luigi put out a, a an ad, they get picked up for a job, and then they rush to take care of the job. The biggest difference between these two scenes now, in contrast, is that the Mario brothers actually get to perform the job this time. In the 1993 version, they were outpaced by their a direct competitor, Scapelli, and they weren't able to get to the job in time to, to fix the plumbing issue. And, you know, there's that whole thing. In this one, they actually get there, and then there's this fun little scene where we they go through dealing with the owner's dog because Luigi accidentally stepped on and broke his bone. And that dog yeah. was vindictive. Oh, my goodness. All oh, the way to the shit. end of the movie, too. He, there was a little bit of respect there at the end. There's a little nod. Like, yeah. Okay. But he was mad about it. <laughs> he was mad about it. It was really funny because you don't see the dog again until the end of the movie. And when you see the dog at the end of the movie, he's just like, you guys did good. But he doesn't have a voice. It's just that, like Jonathan said, that subtle nod of approval. And but in a way, he reminded me of Duck. Oh, he did, didn't he? Yeah. He was very much the up dog. Yes. I hope I got what somebody up, with that. Not much. What's up uh, with you? Hey. Uh, so good. So good. Uh, so they go through this whole little bit where they do some plumbing and we actually get to see that Mario is, in fact, a natural plumber. He is exceptional at what he does and they can fix anything. It's great, even though a pretty big mess comes up. But it's because of the dog. It's not because of Mario's abilities. The dog's a dick. The also, dog is that a dog, dick. Like, knows some kung fu or something. I don't know. That dog fucks some shit up. And they have to save the dog. The dog almost goes flying out of... The dog I'm does not go even, flying out a window, and they grab... I just that don't know how tall that building was. Yeah. I just don't know how how tall that building was. With, like, the... It was outside, very high. Uh, I don't think we got an outside view, per se. Maybe we did. But it was a penthouse suite. I mean, there was yeah. glass walls and stuff. It was probably pretty high. We do get an outside view in that moment. There's a cut to in the scene where the dog is hanging down far enough that the owners of the penthouse should be able to see the dog floating outside the window. The dog's being held onto very unrealistically by a pl plunger attached to his rear. And Mario is holding on to the plunger while Luigi's pulling him back up into the bathroom where the plumbing issue is it's this whole thing it's really great but more importantly and i do this a lot i'm sorry everybody if we take two three minutes back from the scene there is this great montage on their way to the building oh yes where they actually do a very fun not so subtle 
hey, check it out. We're doing level one one of the original Super Mario Brothers movie as a travel bit between locations. So you see Mario and Luigi run through a construction site and they pan everything to a platform perspective. So imagine playing an actual Mario game. You're seeing it from the perspective of Mario and Luigi uh, on the side side scrolling. Yeah, exactly. And I so did not realize like obviously I picked up the homage to the games, but I didn't realize it was like modeled on one one specifically. Yeah. So the blocks were actually in the correct formation. There were things laid out in the scene that made it look similar to the original one one design, including like a pipe coming up out of the ground that made it look like the pipe that you immediately see at the beginning of the level. And they make their way through each of these sections until they get to the very end where Mario ultimately slides down a metal signpost, which looks like the flagpole at the end of a Mario level. And it was a really cool way to handle that. It's just this really fun scene of them running and jumping, basically parkouring their way to their job while going through all of these different sections of the one one level. And it was a a really neat touch, a really fun way to throw back to all of us who were big fans of the game from the beginning. It was outstanding. Really enjoyed. And I'm glad they did it. It was short. It was sweet. And they didn't do it again. And that's the nice thing about this movie is that there's a lot of homages, but they don't repeat anything until you get tired. Right. Exactly. There's not so much of it that we wanted it to stop sort of thing. And from here, I'll just kind of recap and then we're going to touch on all of the fun bits that we noticed throughout it. And then we'll jump into what we would have done differently about this particular edition of the Mario movie. So as to not give away too much about the movie, but I'll just touch real quickly on the fact that from here they go back to their home where we actually meet the Mario family. And that was a big surprise. I didn't expect so many family members. which are actually based on drawings and art that Nintendo has. But never actually made it into anything up until now, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we get to meet their family, and it's got this kind of classic moment of, oh, yeah, we're off to do our own wonderful new job roles in the world. And the family's like, yeah, well, you know, it doesn't seem like that's really the best use of your time. And maybe you should consider not having such silly dreams. It's it's kind of sad, really. They make Mario feel pretty dejected and typical, though. Yeah, it's a classic trope to give a little bit more purpose to their end goal. And another piece that came up in that moment, too, was Mario hated mushrooms. What in the world? Has that always been canon? I don't think they've ever talked about its food preferences before. It was something for the movie, I'm assuming. We'd have yeah. to do a little research, but it was odd. And I don't know, it just made us that way. He took a bit before he was willing to like eat power-ups or had some kind of character growth. I'm not really sure. It was, it was a weird build-up to that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we find out that Mario doesn't like mushrooms we meet his whole family and then from there it's that typical it's that typical show that you expect we we learn that there's a way for them to find their way to the mushroom kingdom there's actually another big waterline burst that happens somewhere in the city and they find themselves in the sewer 
which gives us a nice cute little introduction to the underground music the it was really fun to get that but they did it in a very fun orchestra way i really want to listen to the soundtrack for this movie at this point because hearing the super mario brothers music in that full symphony style was just epic i really enjoyed every bit of that the soundtrack is outstanding yeah not to mention later when we talk about bowser singing peaches that was just brilliant but they find their way it was so good (laughs) they find their way to the mushroom kingdom by accident with there's a green pipe under the streets of brooklyn and the next thing they know they're heading to the mushroom kingdom where the rest of this movie takes place and where we learn of the princess the toads the donkey kongs and basically everything in between that you would expect so now that mario's landed in the mushroom kingdom which we learn peach is currently the ruler of and as they're flying through the what pipe network yeah that's a great way to put it well done sir i could not think of a better way to describe that i I was like i try how how do you even describe this celestial looking whatever the hell is going on because it's literally there's no connection between these pipes if you imagine the mario pipes of old i always expected there to be some sort of full pipe network you're going through and you're always in a pipe no they go through the intro of the pipe and then eventually it opens up into what just seems like a dimension between worlds in fact with a bunch of like celestial ethereal pipes that you can they're like hyperspace tunnels or something you can hop in and out of them well and again it feels like a dimensional space in between there's the whole as it as they're moving through it you're just like there's a separation of worlds so yeah it's really just wild like there's this network of pipes in between these two dimensions basically where part of it goes back to the human world and the other part of it goes to the mushroom kingdom and then there's just this in between like a limbo space i almost wonder what would happen if you fell out of one of them and couldn't find your way back in you might find yourself just lost in the pipe network (laughs) which would be unfortunate but i'm sure there's probably like a ship or something you could show at some point where you can fly through the pipe network yeah probably one of the flying ships or something like that that we see in some of the older mario games but once we're in the mushroom kingdom we learn that luigi ends up getting separated from mario he ends up in the dark lands which is ruled by the king of the koopa bowser himself and then we get a quick introduction to bowser as well where he Earlier on, at the very beginning of the movie, we actually open up with him. Start with it, yeah, yeah. We open up with him taking over the kingdom of the penguins. Penguins, yeah. I mean, they look like penguins, and they've been introduced at other points in the Mario series. I just can't say specifically when I remember them introducing them. I know in Mario sixty four, the penguins are very much present. Correct. I think that was the first one. And it may have been, but yeah, I don't know as much of the reference there, which is probably why I didn't really think too much about it in the beginning. But that's when we meet Bowser and he finds the superstar, which he wants to use as a means to woo Princess Peach. In fact, really what this story is about is Bowser's love 
for Princess Peach. He just doesn't know how to show it in a way that's not threatening. <laughs> he was not demonstrating healthy relationships growing up. And mm -hmm. so now he's perpetuating the toxic relationships of his youth. It's really bad in that sense. Like he has some very twisted ways of wanting to get Peach's attention. And when he learns that Mario is present in the Mushroom Kingdom, he immediately perceives him as a relationship threat. Somebody who is probably trying to steal Peach from him, even though that's not his intention at all. Although when Mario does finally meet Peach, we get this bit after he meets Toad initially. Toad takes him to Peach in the kingdom. And then he has that like goo goo eyes moment of, oh, Peach, you're so beautiful. As he, I think, ends up falling on the ground or something or getting tackled by other guardsmen before she has them release him. And then they're able to continue on with the story. At which point we jump into this we got to stop Bowser. Bowser's coming to destroy the kingdom. So let's train you up. And more or less what we learn at this point is that Mario is just somebody who never gives up. He really has a hard time just getting hit and staying down, which is admirable. That is admirable. He keeps trying even when he gets knocked down. He gets back up. Hero trait. You might say that when he gets knocked down, he gets back up again and that you're Never going to keep him down. Thank you. I You're was, welcome. I was going to go there myself, but <laughs> made it work. So Peach takes him to the training course, which happens to be like another cute Mario platformer style level, but they do this a little bit more three-dimensionally, gave us a little bit more of that Mario 64, Mario Galaxy, Mario Sunshine kind of feel. They incorporated a lot of really cool elements into it, which were fun. Things like the fire bars that we talked about in the last episode where we were like, I don't know how we'd incorporate that into the real live action version. However, in the animated version, it worked great. There were bullet bills. There were piranha plants. The piranha plants were mechanicalized. Is that a word? Mechanized. Mechanized. That's a better word. That is appropriate word, I would say. Listen, if we haven't said this before, the show may be called We're Too Literary, but we are by no means English majors or anything like that. So... That's fair. It may have been a good idea at one point in our lives. So. Probably wouldn't have been a bad idea. We shouldn't credit ourselves with being too literary. No, we're too literary. Oh, oh damn, the part. <laughs> so Peach takes Mario through this training course. We get this really funny and cute little bit where Mario has to get used to eating mushrooms, even though he hates them because they power him up and he's able to take on the course this way. And... It goes all through the night. Peach is getting tired. She nailed it on her first try. So she's just like, I'm just watching you until you're ready. And he, Mario takes all night to do it. But he eventually gets there. He eventually figures it out. It took a night of training, but he, he gets there. And then they no, decide to. He gets like 99% of the way there. Remember at the very end, uh, I forget what happens, but he doesn't actually like complete the course. Oh, she's just like, close enough. Yeah. Okay. You're right. And then they decide to head off to the Jungle Kingdom to talk to the King of the Kongs to figure out if they can get their help with the coming invasion. At which point we finally meet Donkey Kong and Mario and Donkey Kong have a nice fight where eventually Mario gets the upper hand only because he found the cat suit and learned that these abilities really can give him the boost that he needs. Next, we end up 
getting the approval of King Cranky Kong about the Jungle Kingdom allowing their army to come help out. And so they get ready to head back to the Mushroom Kingdom to prepare for the oncoming invasion. And then we get this fun sequence where we're introduced to the Mario Kart aspect of the throwbacks. We get a little bit of a Mario Kart feel and we have this fun sequence on Rainbow Road itself. Correct. They're they're going to take a shortcut to get back to the Mushroom Kingdom before Bowser can get there, which, of course, Bowser knows about and, you know, proceeds to intercept them. But it is an amazing sequence on the Rainbow Road with, like, drift boosting, shells, all the things you'd want. All of the things you want. There's even a bullet bill that goes hard. There's a really fun blue shell moment that happens as well. And one of the most important things to just really play to the players of this series was a moment where Mario jumps off of the Rainbow Road to get to a different part of the Rainbow Road that's a little bit of a shortcut itself. So it's like in one of the later... Was it the Mario Mario Kart 64? I think it might have been where there's a really good spot to jump off of Rainbow Road to another section of Rainbow Road where it gives you a nice boost and a shortcut to get to the end faster. And they do it. It's great. It's a really fun little tribute to that where Nintendo obviously knew that their fans found this spot and they love to use it all the time whenever it would work. And so they incorporated it into the actual race to the mushroom kingdom which was really neat but when that blue shell hit that rainbow road it destroyed it that and also did not realize the blue shell was such a oh finality succinctly (laughs) (laughs) yeah the blue shell was kind of a surprise it almost i'm just gonna say it was a little weird that it felt like a suicide bomber yes yes because in all of the representations of the blue shell that I've ever seen, there's never been a Koopa in it. It's always just been a blue shell with wings. And so for the Koopa general of the race to just go back into his shell and then blue shell his way into an explosion, I was like, did he come out of th- or was was that just him saying, all right, I'm not letting you guys get away. You're not going to defeat me like this. I'm going to go out on my own terms. And with that, I was like, that's a little dark. That's how committed he was. He really was. He was a, he was the mean one out of all of them. Bowser definitely has his moments, but that Koopa, I was like, okay, he's business. He will he will come for you and he will end you if he can. It was wild. But Mario and Donkey Kong have this great back and forth where they're just they don't like each other. They're really not fans. And so when they get stuck together after falling off of Rainbow Road, they have a moment of reconciliation where their dads both don't take their decisions seriously so they're not getting the respect that they feel they deserve and when they have this little moment they're like okay you know what maybe you're not so bad but you both they both agree that each other still sucks but at this point bowser's captured peach told peach that she must marry him or toad's gonna get tortured by what looks like the crucio spell from harry potter comic just hits him with his wand and the next thing you see is toads just writhing and hollering in pain and you're like wow this this feels like a harry potter moment anyway peach agrees to marry bowser only on the condition that he doesn't hurt any of the toads and we get to a wedding reception people true yeah shocking he's a awful liar 
Yeah, he's he thinks that what he's doing is for the best for Peach, and it's just not. It's kind of hilarious how all of his attempts at wooing her so far have always been like backhandedly threatening. And on top of that, when they finally do get to the wedding reception, which is the third and or well into the third and final act of the movie, the idea is that all of the prisoners that Bowser has caught over time are all going to be sacrificed to the lava in Peach's honor. And it's just like, wow, that's really grim, dude. You really think that marrying somebody involves a ritual sacrifice of all of the things that are cute and fun and that Peach probably loves? Seems like a bad idea. So we get this really fun bit with the wedding reception where we get to see a lot of really fun wedding guests. There was King Boo in the in the audience. There was Petey Piranha. Huh? There was King Babom. Oh, King Babom. There was just a whole slew of really fun, notable faces sitting in the audience. And in fact, even King Babom gets a little bit of a moment because during a fight scene in this final sequence, he gets lit. <laughs> and Which to me means he's been sacrificed too. Yep. Yep. A little bit. Apparently, whenever he explodes, he just comes back anyway. So I guess it's fine. But there's this whole sequence where Peach manages to have Toad smuggle in an ice flower bouquet, which has an ice flower power up in it. And then this whole fight to stop the wedding and Mario comes to save Luigi. This whole sequence unravels this way where you get what you expect, which is Mario and Luigi finally having an opportunity to take on Bowser and stop the destruction of the Mushroom Kingdom. It's got a great sequence using the Tanuki suit as well. Yes. Mario. And they save the prisoners in time, but all of this leads to a point where Bowser sends a bonsai bill after Mario, and Mario takes it to a warp pipe where it goes into that pipe network we've been talking about. And when it explodes inside of the pipe network, it causes a reversal effect of Bowser's transport which is like this big rock with bowser's face on it and a castle on top of it it gets sucked into brooklyn and then they have to finish the fight in the human world where everybody just accepts that mario and luigi have saved them because i'll just jump straight to the point and say that they get a hold of the superstar they become invincible they defeat the koopas and bowser and everybody is like, yay, the Mario Brothers have come and saved everyone. It's amazing and it's wonderful. And honestly, it's a super feel-good, feel-good movie for real. Oh, yeah. It was enjoyable and the heroes saved the day. But, but nobody questions the giant Koopas and crashing island. Yeah, it just shows up in New York and everybody's just like, thanks, Mario and Luigi, for saving us. But we're not going to ask about any of this. We're not going to worry about any of that and it's just that in itself is where we'll lead into how we would have done some of this differently because the ending sequence albeit fun i'm a person of i like to have explanations for things i like to know that there are going to be wrap-ups and maybe there will be in a sequel who knows but the whole destruction of part of the city with bowser's giant floating rock castle thing is just like wow that was something that is going to take a long time to clean up it's going to yes. take a long time to repair the damages that were done to the city and yet here we are just celebrating and 
I'll grant you that should be how a hero's moment is received in a lot of ways, because this kind of tangents into a little bit of Avengers, right? But with Avengers, they did bring up the whole superhero collateral sort of thing and how there's a lot to do about the cleanup. And I mean, they even incorporated that in later with Spider-Man where Vulture's crew was one of the crews that was helping out with gathering the hardware and things like that from back when New York got invaded and all that stuff. And so they kind of touch on that there, but it's like at least they explained it and they didn't really do that with Mario, which, of course, being more lighthearted, maybe it's not necessary, but it's one of those things where it's just like, but but why? Why are we not addressing this? Why are we not addressing it? (laughs) So for me, right off the rip, I'll tell you that I actually don't care for the incorporation of the human world into the storylines, like having Brooklyn being the home location for Mario and Luigi. I'll grant you there's a lot of materials out there at this point that canonize that and make it so that Mario and Luigi are from Brooklyn in the original. We know this for a fact. Yes. One of us had to look it up. I mean, to be fair, in the original Mario Brothers manual, there's no mention of Brooklyn. You found some other details that eventually say, like, they're from Brooklyn. And and I relent and agree. That's fine. But originally, there was no backstory that the backstory came later. It feels like originally, everything there was no the backstory at all. But we digress. Like, it was yeah. just an amusing point of contention between the two of us. Yes, I personally feel like they're should be that separation from the real world to give it a little bit more of an immersion effect. It would have been interesting to see a storyline where Mario and Luigi, maybe it was similar to how Peach ended up in the Mushroom Kingdom. Like the way they describe it in the movie is that Peach just went through the pipe and she ended up there and then the Toads took her in and they trained her and then they eventually made her their ruler, which I take some issues with that (laughs) because it's like, yeah, of course, without any royal lineage, Sure, we're just going to make you our our princess. Also, it's just some poor child rare. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? It's fine, but I would have maybe thought of Peach mysteriously appeared in the Mushroom Kingdom and she was found by the Toads, sure. To raise her up and make them their princess, as unrealistic as that kind of feels, it's something that you can just kind of lean into the... Why not? Just let that one be. And I can be okay with that. But then like Mario and Luigi, they're already in the Mushroom Kingdom as far as I'm concerned. They're already doing plumbing in the Mushroom Kingdom. And frankly, that's how this new movie ends is that we think that they're going to be continuing their plumbing business in Brooklyn, but they actually show them starting their day in the Mushroom Kingdom and they're providing their services there instead. And because of that, I feel like it should have just been what they were doing to begin with. I would develop a little bit of a backstory that may be a little bit mysterious there, but maybe humans can just be allowed to exist in the Mushroom Kingdom without there being any tie to the human world. Sometimes when we take this many liberties with a story to begin with, you might as well go the extra length and just come up with a mysterious backstory. To tie into or to give them a backstory without using the real world, so to speak. New Donk City, I think, was established Yes, in Odyssey. Correct. They could just be from New Donk City. It's a New York allegory. We don't get an explanation for Peach. 
True. Uh, that could be part of the next movie. And that could she be... She could be mysteriously still from somewhere else. Yeah, or she could be from New Donk City as well. Maybe New Donk City is just the fictional version of New York for the purposes of their origin stories. We could build that around that, and I think that would be a little bit more immersive than trying to bridge these gaps between the human world and the Mushroom Kingdom. It seems like that just adds a little bit of extra storytelling to worry about that doesn't need to be there per se and so that would be one of the main things that i'd change up there the next thing that i'd probably be looking at too would be maybe altering bowser's overall obsession with peach just to make it a little less creepy <laughs> no i mean no maybe tone it down a hair but i loved it like it was an awful toxic relationship he was trying to start it was. I'll but grant I you that. But it did make me feel just a little, oh, he's just trying to force himself into this. Like, he just really yes. wants to make this happen. And yeah, it was a little off-putting, but it, it did result in one of the greatest Somewhere songs. to grow. True. He starts here as a terrible, toxic person, and he will grow into a healthy person at a later point. So let's see, how many Mario games are there? Something like... There's a lot, there's a lot of Mario I, games. Let's say there's probably close to, I don't know, 20 Mario games, right? And yeah, that's a lot of time for them to make movies out of. <laughs> you know, there, there, there's a lot, of, a lot of stories to be told there. Oh my gosh, the franchise has spawned over 200 games of various genres and sub-series, including Mario... Oh, because it's including Mario Golf, Mario Kart, Mario Party, Mario Tennis, Mario vs. Donkey Kong, yeah. Paper Mario, etc. including everything. You'd have to look at what specific, like, story-based Mario games are there. Yeah. A lot. And I'm curious if they all take place in the same universe or what. I think, like, the Super Mario games are a continuing thing. But what right. about, like, Mario... No, Mario 64 is a Super Mario game, the Mario RPG and Paper yeah. Mario. Are they their own separate, you know, multiverse? Does Mario have a multi? It obviously does because it's got the human world and all yep. sorts of stuff. It does, yeah. And Super Mario RPG is a great example of a story that was very well told, but did incorporate some elements that were not necessarily Mario themed to begin with in order to kind of bridge the gap between this being the Final Fantasy developers, right? And Yes, the Super Mario RPG would have been a really good story to tell in this format where we're getting to finally see a properly animated Super Mario Brothers movie. Agreed. I love Super Mario RPG. Yeah. Okay. In fact, Super Mario RPG. Yep. Yep. Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars. Okay. I can't remember Super as part of the title. Now, to our original point from the previous episode, I will say that they couldn't have done super mario rpg as the plot line for the movie because it came out three years after it came out in 1996 so we'll grant them that one but if they had just waited three more years to make that movie they could have had a much better storyline to work with for the they original had a one. lot of better things to work indeed outside of that though i will say that they did a pretty good job of making this a very well-rounded homage to all of the mario fans out there it was very nostalgia heavy. It was very centered around appealing to the fans, which I don't fault them for in any way, but it did add more of that. Hey, we're just getting to see all the cool things that we know and love versus giving us a more foundational storyline. And so I would 
potentially look to just expand it some and provide a little bit more context to areas that were glossed over, namely the different elements to some of the backstory history of the characters, giving Mario and Luigi we got a full full coverage on, but Toad, we don't know a whole lot about the Toads of the Mushroom Kingdom yet. We're still learning a lot about Peach and Bowser. I think there could have been some moments in there to expand this into closer to like maybe just shy of a two hour movie instead of just being a little over 90 minutes. I would probably maybe we push the scope. Yeah, I think, you know, you could pull out Donkey Kong in his world and just focus on Mushroom Kingdom and Bowser trying to invade. Yep. You could definitely remove Donkey Kong and it wouldn't be too big of a loss. It was fun to see him and Cranky Kong and Diddy Kong. He shows up as just like a quick little cameo within the crowd during the arena fight. And yet none of their presences really served a whole lot of purpose outside of just giving them an excuse to do the Mario Kart. And again, no complaints, but it didn't really further the plot outside of saying, hey, we're going to see if the jungle kingdom is going to be willing to provide their army to us and then we get this fun montage of mario kart that ultimately results in the majority of them not even getting to be there for the final fight and so bowser just having that leg up on knowing where the secret passage was and getting the upper hand on them almost nullified their purpose in the move other than to give us mario kart well it gave us mario kart and it gave us donkey kong to help for the final yeah, but in the end, it did just come down to Mario, which, yeah, not surprising. Well, Mario and Luigi. Yep. And yeah, I mean, outside of that, I don't know if there's a whole lot else that I would necessarily adjust yet. I'm very excited for the possibility of a sequel and hoping that there's going to be something cool to go along with it. There was a stinger. If you don't stick around in the movie, I would recommend if you go back, stick around to the end because there's a nice little stinger when we went and saw it. I want to say at least 98% of the people in the theater left before the very, very end. And there is absolutely a little bit of a, hey, guess what's coming in the next iteration if we do it. And it was a nice little piece for me. Yeah, it was enjoyable. Although, was it in the real world or was it in the Mushroom Kingdom? Yes, it was in the real world. It was down in the sewer where we originally saw Mario go through the pipe to the Mushroom Kingdom. And they introduced to us a Yoshi egg. And the reason I love this bit was because it felt very much like a tribute to the, I want to say it was 1998 Godzilla movie with Matthew Broderick. Yes. Where at the end of the the movie, yeah, the egg hatches at the end, right? Yep. Yep. And so that little touch was really nice. I was like, that movie never got a proper sequel. That's another movie that I'd love to talk about at some point. And we could, it we had could a discuss great changing, but... cartoon, by the way. Oh, yeah. I the, love that cartoon. The continuation of the cartoon. Yes. But it was very much like that Godzilla egg hatching moment. We get to see the Yoshi green egg chilling out in his signature color, which that was another thing that was interesting. I'll just mention real fast is that there was a sequence where Mario's running through following Toad on the way to the species castle. And we see a bunch of Yoshi run by and none of them are the signature green. They're all different colors of the Yoshis that we've seen before, you know, pink and yellow and blue and red, but none of them are green. So this was nice little, hey, don't worry, we didn't forget about our signature Yoshi. Right. Well, because this is going to be 
the Yoshi. The Yoshi, sure. exactly. So, and then the last thing that I'll say that we didn't bring up earlier that I just, it was the character that stole a little bit of the show for me. It was the character that I didn't expect, but absolutely loved in every way, shape, and form. It was the little Luma Lee. It was a little star, one of the star creatures from Super Mario Galaxy. It was a prisoner in Bowser's hanging cage prison thing that he had. And it was just the most happy, negative creature you've ever seen. How how would you describe it? Nihilistic. Yes. Great. (laughs) Every single line that little Lumali had was amazing because it just it kept telling everybody that nothing mattered, that it's really hard to describe this without it sounding just like we're enjoying the fact that it's so dark and nihilistic. Yeah. Like just telling everybody to accept the end and looking forward to it and cheering when they're being lowered into the lava. I would change nothing about Loom. The whole nothing. thing needs to be kept. And it was not so even good. wanting to increase it because you, you could go too much and it would just overstay the welcome. It was perfect. as One of the most insane quotes from that little Lumali was, there is no escape. The only hope is the sweet relief of death. And it was just these dark musings the entire time all of the other creatures in the prison are just like, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> Saying some just super dark, dark stuff. And it was so funny because it's one of those characters that is supposed to be like uplifting and lighthearted and cute. And this cute little thing is just being like, oh, I wish death would take me because living is pain. It was a little bit of a me seeks. But yes, that was... Right. One of the funniest characters for me throughout the whole movie. I really enjoyed this film. Matthew Fogel did a great job writing it. He was a writer for the Lego movie part two. He was a writer for Minions, The Rise of Gru. He he definitely knows how to write something that's fun and amusing. And so props there. He did a really good job. And the movie itself, highly recommend. If you haven't seen it and you're listening to this, do yourself a favor and go watch it because what we're telling you is not doing it justice. No, it was a great movie. I definitely recommend it. It played heavily with nostalgia. I didn't really oversay its welcome. I just, for me, it does feel a little paint by numbers. Yep. I'd want to have a little extra heart, a little more time to really connect with the characters. And that's where I would maybe either expand the length of the movie, but it goes from what, the hour and a half to two hours then and Yep. begin to feel a little too long-winded. So I think I would pull Donkey Kong and from there just give more time, build the world, build Bowser, build Mario, Pete, show how this all interact works again. Yes, I agree. The one other small bit that I'd attribute to this would be, I think that there's a lot to do with all of the different castle baddies, especially from, say, like Super Mario World itself, where we had... Ludwig von Koopa and all of those other characters. In fact, I really appreciated the Ludwig von Koopa reference on the piano that Bowser uses to sing Peaches, which was an amazing song. And if you haven't heard that, definitely go look up Jack Black on whatever your music platform of choice is and find Peaches because that song is just so fun and silly. But 
there's a lot to be done with all of these different characters that could create sequels for days. So I think that this is the beginning of what could potentially be an amazing franchise of movies. And I say that as a big fan of Mario. So take that as you will, because not everybody's a fan of Mario and that's okay. Next time on Word to Literary, we'll be discussing another very interesting sounding movie called Bullet Train. I'm definitely looking forward to that. Excited to get to this. Yeah. Definitely looking forward to Bullet Train. Should be a really good time. So look forward to that here in the near future. But in the meantime, that was the Super Mario Brothers movie 2023 animated version, which was just great. It was wonderful. It was, if you haven't seen it, it go was see fantastic. it. Fantastic. Go see it. Highly recommend it. Go see it twice. It Indeed. Already at this time of recording, it is either almost at a billion dollars or at a billion. Yeah, the movie's made mad money already and nintendo's gonna keep it going they're not gonna pass up on an opportunity to make money like this to just keep expanding their stuff of course i guess part of it's split with illumination but we'll take what we can get if nintendo gets more money to make even cooler versions of switches and other cool nintendo consoles i'm all about that <laughs> fair enough all right that covers it for me i'm thinking you're good too i'm good awesome well thank you so much for joining us as always we always have a good time recording these and you know where to find us. If you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button or follow whichever platform you may be on. If that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, just hit that button and you'll know the next time an episode drops. We're still looking forward to any feedback anybody might have for us. So be sure to shoot us a note at our email, feedback at weirdtoliterary.com. Again, that was feedback at weirdtoliterary.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your take on the Mario movie as well. If you have any opinions about it that you'd like to share, we'd love to hear it. So drop us a line. Otherwise, thank you so much for being here. And we look forward to catching you all next time with Bullet Train. We look forward to having you join us. I've been your host, Kenny. And I'm John. All right. And take care, guys. We'll see you next time. Yeah. <laughs>